We've been in a series called Rooted, and uh, the idea is that we as a people, um, we, I, it, I hope that it is your desire to be rooted uh, in God, that you are, as you go through life and go through uh, circumstances in life and, and, and work through different things in life, Lord, that you understand that, that God wants to implant you into the ground to give you that kind of security, uh, this kind of firmness um, about your faith and about your trust in the Lord. And so we've been looking at different things um, in the scripture that, that helps us understand what does it mean to be rooted? How, how, is that, how, does it, how do we get to that place where we're like those roots of the strong tree? We gave an example of a tree uh, that was over a thousand years old that when Hurricane Harvey came through, that tree stood strong, that tree stood firm. It was because of it was rooted into the ground. And I hope that for you, that your desire is as a, as a follower of Jesus, that you want to know without a doubt that whenever the winds of life come or the storms of life come or the hurricanes come and, and all of its fury and all of its force, that you don't, that doesn't knock you out of the faith game, that that doesn't knock you over when it comes to, you know, your trust in God, that, that you stand firm. And so we've been looking at um, good disciplines. The, the Colossians tells us that they're, that Paul noticed that about this church that they had some good disciplines. And so we've been looking at a few different disciplines of what we think will help us stay rooted and grounded. And one of the disciplines we talked about was in the first week, we said that it isn't willpower that's going to get us there. I don't know about you, but every time that I try to, you know, exhibit willpower, I always seem to fail. Anybody else discovered that? When you're like, you, 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 you are determined as, as much as you want to be, you have the most willpower that you're trying to create all these, these better habits when, when, in, under your own strength and your own determination, but it never seems to work. It, we always seem to fall flat on our face. It maybe works over a short period of time, but ultimately at the end of the day, we seem to be always you know, coming up short to our goals, our dreams, our ambitions. Well, it's not willpower that's going to get us there. Willpower doesn't get us rooted into the ground. We said it's got to be spirit power. It's got to be by the spirit of God and, and the power that, that is in us. When we put your faith and hope in Christ, it's the spirit of God that comes and lives inside of us and, and enables us to be able to do the things that we couldn't do on our own. It's the Spirit of God. And I know if you're not a Christian, you're not, this is sort of sounds a little weird or mystical, but as a Christian that we believe that the Spirit of God, the presence of God comes and dwells in us and enables us and empowers us to do what we couldn't do on our own. It's the Spirit of God that changes us from the inside out. Willpower is more of an external facade. Willpower is, you know, I can, I want to, you know, demonstrate, you know, my my willpower based on my, you know, diet habits or my exercise habits, and and we good, we're good for a while, but then it doesn't seem to pan out. Spirit power is more concerned about inside out stuff, that God wants to change you from the inside out. God wants you to be a, a person more like Jesus. That's the goal. That's the goal for your life for God, that he wants you to be more like Jesus. He wants you to love in the way that Jesus loved. He wants you to experience the kind of joy in this life that Jesus experienced, the kind of peace that Jesus experienced. And so these good disciplines 
are en- enable that spirit within us. These good disciplines sort of engage the power that's in us. And according to Ephesians, again, if you're not a Christian, sort of sounds a little weird, but according to F- Ephesians, if you are a Christian, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. If you're a Christian, that should be thrilling for you as a Christian. The same power that raised Jesus out of the grave is in you. That's the, the kind of power that you and I have inside of us, the power to do it. And that will change things. That will make a difference in your life. That will give you, you'll, you won't have to try to love, you just love. You won't have to try to have joy or happiness in, the, in your life, you just have it. You don't have to try to be, have peace in your life. You just are a peaceful person. This is what the power of the Holy Spirit does. And so we looked at a couple disciplines. We looked at uh, meditation in, in, in God's word. And again, these are for Christians, but I'm telling you, these are like the secret sauce in the Christian life. You know what I mean? Like this is like, you get this in your life. It's like, makes it better. You know, it's like the secret ingredient to somebody that is just a step above or a step ahead in their faith or their trust or their commitment in God. This is like the secret sauce. And so he says, hey, you know what you should do? You know what a good discipline is? You should have, you should do, you should meditate on God's word. You should meditate on God's word. As a matter of fact, Psalm 1 says, when you do that, when you take God's word and you meditate on God's word and you pray on God's word, what that will do is is that will firmly root you into the ground. That will give you nourishment in your life. That will give you stability in your life when you meditate on God's word. We talked about that. We, then we talked about another one that was a little bit more of a public discipline, and that is, um, that is doing good doing good, that we as Christians are considered to be priests. Again, you got to go back and listen to these messages, but as Christians, we're considered to be priests. And as priests' jobs were in the Old Testament, their jobs were to offer sacrifices. Well, as New Testament believers, as New Testament, New Covenant believers, followers of Jesus, we are also priests and we are also to offer sacrifices. Now, thank goodness they're not as messy as the Old Testament sacrifices were, right? Thank goodness that you don't have to bring a goat to church and I'm up here slaughtering that goat. Many of you would never come back, okay? This church would be shut down quick, all right? It would be over. Well, that, none of that happens anymore, but there are sacrifices that need to happen. And according to the scripture, one of those sacrifices that need to happen are, are us doing good, doing good. Now, that's real simple. You teach your kids to do Do good, do good, do good. Well, sometimes that's easy to do. Sometimes it's not easy to do. That's why it's called a sacrifice. It takes a commitment. It takes a dedication. It's a discipline. It's doing good. The other one was praising God and being grateful for what God has given us. Praising God and being grateful, being thankful for what we have. And this needs to happen probably a little bit more within the context of the church body, the followers of Jesus, that we need to be more grateful and praise God and and, and be a little bit more excited about our faith and be a little bit more enthusiastic about what God wants to do and has already done in your life. I mean, come on, let's, we're really good at, you know, feeling sorry for ourselves. We're really good at, you know, feeling bad about circumstances and certain situations that's happened to us in our life. But what we're not very good at 
is that we're not very good at praising him for what we do have. And I think that because of who he is and because of what God has done, that he's worthy of our praise. Christian, do you agree? Christian, do you agree? Absolutely. So these are sacrifices. And again, just like the Old Testament, it was messy. Just like now as our sacrifices as priests, guess what? It's sometimes messy. Doing good is, can, can be a little messy, you know? It can be a little complicated, you know? A lot of, lot of different things to work through. It can be messy. Praising God in the midst of sometimes where you don't really feel like it, guess what? It feels a little messy, right? It feels messy. But that's a discipline. It's a discipline. So today, I'm really going to upset you. Today is, if you're a guest, like, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I was waiting for this one. I was waiting for this one to come up. And I'm telling you, this is, listen, if you are a guest, I talk about this maybe one time a year. My leadership team wants me to talk about it more. But I only have enough courage and can muster up enough, you know, courage. That's really what it boils down to, to talk about this one time a year. And, but I think... I believe that this is also a good discipline. This is also a great spiritual discipline to help you get rooted and grounded. And so today I'm going to talk about giving. Okay, all right, some of you, some of you. And so here's why I'm going to talk about giving, because I think I know that in scripture that God wants to do something for you in regards to your money. That God wants to do something. Now listen, God wants to do something for you when it comes to your finances. That's what he wants to do. God, we see that in scripture. We're going to look at in a second. The real reason, though, that I'm talking about giving today is because I really want to buy this and I need your help to do it. Where is my pictures at? There, there it is. There we go. I really, I couldn't, I bought this, to be honest with you, and I can't keep up with the payments. So come on, everybody, help me out here. No, I really, no, I, this is my house, though. I just, so I mean, we've been really having a hard time keeping up the house payments of it. This is just down Wald Lake Drive, just overseas, the Wald Lake. Uh, but that, I, it's, I'm having a hard time keeping up my house payments. So the reality is, I'm just being transparent with you. I need help with my house payment. And I really bought, I bought that car. I mean, it's a nice car. No, okay. All right. That was a bad joke. Bad joke. Bad joke. Some pastors do that. And I, don't, and I, and I'm, I get upset because like, I get lumped in with these guys. Like they drive around, you know, their BMWs or whatever, and they live in these massive mansions. And I'm like going, oh my goodness, like this is what everybody thinks. And so I get lumped into these people, you know, like this is why he, only, he talks about money. Or I showed up to the Market Street Church today and he's talking about money. Listen, that's not why. I believe, more, more importantly, that I believe that Jesus, Jesus has something for you when it comes to your, your finances. And so... Let's look at a couple different scriptures. Now, Jesus, the, the, one of the coolest verses in the Bible, one of the greatest Bible verses, is, talks about this idea of, um, now this is sort of countercultural idea. So in our culture, don't we love the rags to riches story? 
You know, what I mean? you know what I'm saying? Like, don't we love that? Like somebody that had nothing, you know, they were desolate. They had nothing, no resources. They grew up in a, you know, t- rough home, rough neighborhood, poor family, you know, and then they built their way. They, they, start, they got into, you know, a business or they, and they built their way and they're this massive empire. Boy, we think that those are heroes, right? I mean, that's the way our culture thinks. Those are heroes. Wow, those guys went from nothing and they have now all of this and they built that on their own. You know, they did that themselves and that's what we look at as culture. But Jesus demonstrates something a little bit different. In 2 Corinthians chapter number eight, verse number nine says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, so Jesus is God, and God has everything. God is everything that, everything that exists is God's. Everything that he made is, is God's. And just like the baby dedication, right? That the, ba- the children that God gives us, they're, they're God's, but he just gives them to us to, to steward them. He says that even though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. That God on his throne in heaven, eternal God, maker of everything, anything he wants, he can have. He left heaven to come to earth and he took on the form of a man in the likeness of a servant and he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is rich in heaven came down to you and to me and became poor to to become a servant so that, he says, through his poverty might become rich. That through his poverty, through his putting you and I first, you and I can become rich, which is not maybe in this life, Right? That's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about that, you know, that you put your faith in Jesus and, 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 and now he's going to give you all that you need. Listen, he gives you what you need. He doesn't give you what you greed. That was good. You can write that down. I'll give you a time to write that down. He gives you what you need. He doesn't give you what you greed. And so in his poverty, you and I can become rich. And by the way, one day when we step out of this earth and in hit with, with him in eternity, you're going to realize how rich you are. He did that for us in his poverty so that you and I can become rich. But that is not the story of our culture. The story of our culture is somebody who is poor, who becomes rich, they're the hero. But in Jesus' culture, in kingdom culture, it is about you who are rich becoming poor for the sake of others. You who are rich becoming poor for the sake of of others. It's not mean that you live in poverty. It just means that he poured himself out. He gave himself. No one and no one has ever given more than God. No one. And he did that for us. Jesus has an eternal framework. You know that, right? Jesus's framework was, I was in heaven, I was in eternity, and now I've come to this earth where there is limitations where there was no limitations to time and space and eternity, he came and he left time, he left no limitations of time and space, and he came to this earth where there are limitations to time and space. 
and material possessions. There's limitations to those. And so he has an eternal framework. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Here's what Jesus said. Do not, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Why would he say that? Because he has a different framework. He has a different perspective. Don't live for the treasures on earth. Don't live for those. Live to store up treasures in heaven. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? I don't really know until we get to heaven. And then we're going to go, oh, there's your treasures, Chris. There's your treasure. And you got your treasure because you were generous. You got your treasure because you gave your time. You got your treasure because you did this. You loved somebody. You put somebody else first. You gave your time and energy and effort and, and resources to these things. This is your treasure. And I'm sure when I get there, I'm going to go, oh, that's amazing. That's worth living for. He says, don't store up your treasures on earth, store up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. And then he says something very, very challenging for us. I hope that it is. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That where your will is and what your affection is, whatever that may be, it could be anything. It could be some, it could be your physical money. It could be, you know, having accumulation of more money. It could be a possession of your house or a car. Or it could be anything. It could be something that you just, you know, dedicate to and, and devote your time and energy to. It could be that. And so here's what he says. Here's what will happen to your heart. Your heart will go where your treasure is. Your heart will go where your treasure is. So what you put your time into, what you put your money into, that's where your heart will go. That's where your heart will go. And I hear it all the time, Pastor, I just don't have the heart for God like I used to. I don't have the passion for God like I used to. I used to be excited about the things of God. I used to be fired up about the things of God. I gave a lot of my time and energy and resources. I gave my, you know, all these things to God, and I just don't have the heart for God. And oftentimes, it, you don't lose your passion for God. You don't lose your heart for God. You shift it somewhere else. You give it away to something else, or it could be someone else. But the, re the problem is, is with the heart is, is that, and I always tell our young people all the time, don't lead with your heart. Don't follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. It will deceive you. It will lead you in a path, and this is what culture says. Listen to your heart. Follow your heart. This is what culture says. Listen, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, your heart will just follow. Your heart will go where your value is. Your heart will go where your treasure is. Your heart will go what is most important to you. And this is a little harsh. Your heart will go to the thing that is your God. The thing that is your God, little g. Your heart will go, that's what I love. That's what I love. And Jesus said, hey, don't. The treasures in heaven are way, way better than anything this earth, anything this world can offer. He goes on and says in verse 24, look what he says. 
No one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Isn't it interesting that he says, what rivals me out of all the things, he says, what rivals me is wealth. That's what commonly comes before him, is he says, wealth. And here's the thing. Here's what I put. Money is never the issue. Mastery is the issue. Money is never the issue. It's not, you know, oh, you know, here we go. He wants my money, just wants my money. I think he really wants to buy that car. I think he really, that's his house, and that's what he wants us to help us with. No, that's not what it is. Listen, money is never the issue. If you have money, great. That's amazing. That's incredible. And as a matter of fact, we're all in this considered rich in this room. If you're an American, if you live in this country, you're rich. You're rich. If you don't think that, you need to travel around the world. You need to get on a plane and go somewhere and see how good you have it. See, money is never the issue. It's the mastery. Mastery is the issue. And the question is, do you own your money? Or does your money own you? That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, don't let it own you. Don't let it dictate and determine because I think oftentimes we have want to be generous and we want to give to things, but ultimately over time we've created some habits and made some decisions that ultimately hurt us and eventually what happens is is that our money becomes our master. And our money owns us. And our money dictates where it goes and what it's supposed to be given to. And that's what it does. And so Jesus tells us this. He says this in verse, if you skip down, we'll skip down to verse 31. He says, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear or what clothing we'll wear? He says, listen, he says, I know that you're worried about these things. And ultimately where our possessions fall into, you know, what do we drink? What do we eat? What do we wear? All these fall into, we worry about these things. We worry about how we're going to pay this bill or, you know, make this happen or get these clothes for the kids for school and resources and supplies and all the things that we like to do. He says, don't, he says, I understand that you're worrying about all those things. And you start to think about, well, I got to save here. I got to hoard here. I got to, you know, keep this in my possession here. Even though I want to be generous there, I want to be generous to something, but I can't because I need to make sure that I have enough so that I can eat and I can drink and I can have something to wear. And so we worry about, are we going to have enough for those? We worry and we anxious and we stress about it. He says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things for your heavenly father. Listen, this is important. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Do you know that? Your heavenly father knows what you need. Not what you agreed, but what you need. 
He's a heavenly father that understands your circumstance. He understands your situation. He knows what you're going through. He knows what all the bills that you have to pay. He knows the things that come up in life that surprise us. The car breaks down or, or some issue at the house. He, he knows all of these things. He's, he's got it. He's got it. But he still tells us this. Look what he says. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, if you're here with us last week, I sort of defined what his kingdom and his righteousness means. His kingdom and his righteousness, when he talks about that, he's, he's talking about a other's first kingdom. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about an other's first kingdom. God and others. That's what Jesus was commonly, love God Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love others as you love yourself. Jesus said, a new commandment that I give you to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. It is his kingdom and his right to do right by God, do right by others. That's what his righteousness means. His kingdom is an other's first kingdom. His kingdom is an other's first kingdom. If, I, if you guys were children, I would make you repeat that. His kingdom is an other's first kingdom. And we do right by them. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then he says, all these things. What things? The things you're worried about. The things that you're concerned about. The stress that you have. The stuff that pops up. The bills that come in. The, the things that you, know, you wish didn't happen and you didn't plan on it in your budget. And he says, he says all these things. I'm telling you, if you, if you just seek his kingdom first, and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. This is a promise from a God, from a heavenly father. Are you hearing me? Hear me? From a heavenly father who knows what you need. Knows what you need. So, um, it works like this. Here's what happens, okay? Um, Who's got house note? Who's got house note? House note? Okay, here's house note. Okay. Nope, house note. House note. House note. There you go. There you go. Thank you. Here you go. There you go. Piece of bumpy cake for you. Uh, who's got cars? Cars? Car, here you go. Okay. Okay. We got cars, we got payments and repairs and all the things. You got payments, Steve, pay repairs for cars. You got that, we got that, okay, we got that. Who's got credit card, credit card, credit card debt? No, no judging this guy. Don't judge him. Don't judge him. He's got kids. He's got a few of them, okay. Um, 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 who, who's got, uh, man, I'm forgetting what I... What I have written here. Um, hold on, hold on. Let me look at my notes real quick. Uh, who's got uh, entertainment? Entertainment, entertainment. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. Ryan, Lee, Amy, they like to have a good time. They like to have a good time. They like their entertainment. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, utilities. Who's, who has to pay? Anybody have to pay utilities? Nobody has to pay utilities. Oh, okay, there we go. All right, all right. Utilities. All right. There you go. You got utilities. There you go. Here we go. All right. And, um, uh, man, I think uh, 
loans maybe? Is there loans? Is that one? Maybe I crossed that one off. Hold on. Hold on. Let me look. What am I missing? Should have memorized these. Groceries. You need food. There we go. Groceries. Thank you. All right. Groceries. Do you need groceries, ma'am? Yeah, always, of course. There you go. Here you go. For your groceries. Okay. All right. So, I mean, maybe I missed a few, but you know, you know what you know what's missing? Who's got God? Okay, Miss Carol, you got God. Okay, well. So, uh, hold on. Just hold your plate out. Hold on. Let me, let me just scrape what I can. Hold on, Miss Carol. Just, I'll just try to. Yeah, we got, here we go, here you go, God, here you go, there you go, God, that's about, there you go, enjoy that, God, that's for you to have. Isn't that how it works? I get it. I, you got to pay utilities, you got to have entertainment, you got to, you know, car and you got, you know, house note, but, you know, when it comes to the end of your bumpy cake, <laughs> what's left for God? I mean, that's what he's saying, he's like, like no, like before you, I, I know, like well, the mortgage and I got, you know, the car payment and I got chocolate on my fingers. I got utilities, and I got, you know, I, man, I want to have provide. I got clothes, and I'm, and I'm worried that I don't have, I'm not going to have enough at the end of the month. And, 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 that, and finally, maybe at the end of the month, you got a little bit to scrape from. And ultimately, that's only because of the guilt that you feel when the plate goes by. You're like, hold on, hold on. And then you do it in slow motion because you want people to see. You're like, oh, I got it, I got it, hold on here, hold on. Hey, oh, you see that, right? Oh, yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> and we scrape up enough, and we say, "God, here you go." But the, but the reality is that it's all God's. And you have a house because God gave you one. You have a car because God gave you one. You can enjoy the things in life because God gave those things for you to enjoy. And you have kids because God gave you kids to have and enjoy and care and nurture and so on and so forth. But listen, the reality is it's all God's. And what God should get is God should get the first. God should get the first. He should get what's First, the best. I mean, you see this all through Scripture. This is not just me making this stuff up. This is all through Scripture. God's going, listen, you put me first. You seek me first because it's my kingdom. It's my righteousness. It's about others first. That's what it's about. That's what God wants. He says, I want you to give to me first. And then you live on the rest. You live on the rest. Faith is a excuse me, money is a faith measuring tape. Did you know that? Money is a faith measuring tape. That's what it is. It's, it's you demonstrating, God, I trust you. God, I have faith. I'm, I'm putting my faith and I trust in you, God. And that's what it is. It's a faith measuring tape. And oftentimes, you know, we think that, you know, I showed up to church 
And I sang a few songs and I listened to Pastor Chris's sermon and I had to deal with that for 30 to 40 minutes. Listen, I know. But listen, you know what that is? That's about this much faith. I'll give you that. That takes about this much faith. You sang a few songs, you listened to a sermon. I'm grateful, I'm glad you're here. But when it comes to exhibiting and demonstrating the amount of faith and trust you have, it's about that much. But you know how you demonstrate faith? You know how you show God? And God's the one measuring this, it isn't me. God's the one keeping score, it isn't me. And when you sing a song and you show up and you listen to a sermon, awesome, that's great, it's about that much. But when you are generous and you give your time and energy and resources, you know what that shows? Excuse me, heads up. That demonstrates the faith. Money, when you generously give, your money is a faith measuring tape. And God knows why, because God knows what you need. God knows your circumstance. God knows what you're going through. God knows what you're struggling with. God knows what you're worried about. But you say, you know what? Regardless of that, I'm still giving first to God. And when God sees that, you know what he sees about your faith? Boy, this tape that could go out of this building. And that's what you're demonstrating with that. Oh, it's a bunch of religious people that were really good at giving out of their wealth. And they had a lot of wealth. And a lot of the wealth came from stealing from people, taking from less fortunate people. One day, this little widow came in and she had two mite, which was like Roman currency. It was nothing. It was penny, pennies to us, pennies. And she gave what little she had. She gave, and according to Jesus, that he saw it, said what incredible faith that she exhibited. Why? Because she didn't give out of her wealth. She gave out of her poverty. She said, she was demonstrating to God, God, this is what I have, and so I'm gonna give you that. Listen, God isn't impressed about how big of a check you write. He's not impressed by any of that because you have all of this wealth, and you're like, well, I can afford this, and even though he's not impressed by any of that, he's just impressed by the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is this. This is what I can do. God, here's what I give you, and it's first, it's the best, it comes right off the top, and I'm just gonna live on the rest because I'm going to trust you with the rest. That's what it's about. It is, it is a faith measuring tape. That's what it is. God, I trust you. Here it is. First, I trust you. I give this to you. First, I trust you. The other thing money is, is this. Money isn't only mine. My money isn't only mine. A pastor, Andy Stanley, he uh, says this about greed. His, this is his definition of greed. I thought it was really good. It's, it's my assumption when it comes about terms of our money. It's my assumption. It's all for my consumption. That what you get, that it's your assumption, my assumption, that it's all for my consumption. That's greed. The money that you have isn't just for you. 
It's not only mine. My money is not only mine. I remember uh, just, a, just this summer, um, I promised um, my nieces and nephews that I would buy them candy at a candy store at a campground that we were at. And I had to leave you know, earlier and, and, I, and I forgot to take them to the candy store. And so I gave one of my nieces a 10. And she has this 10 in her hand and she's, I can see like her eyes, like she's, held, she's holding a 10 and she's like, well, aren't you gonna give to all the rest of the cousins? I said, that isn't just for you. I go, you take that and you are supposed to distribute that and share that with everybody else. That is just for you. Listen, this is what we assume. We assume that what we get, what comes from God is all for our consumption. That is greed. It's greed. That what God gives you, we're to seek first his kingdom. What is his kingdom? It's an other's kingdom. It's an other's kingdom. And that maybe what you get isn't just for your consumption, which is what we assume it is. That maybe it's about reallocating out of your kingdom, are you with me? Into somebody else's kingdom. It's reallocating, this is in my kingdom, but I'm going to reallocate it for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of the righteousness of God. I'm going to reallocate it for someone else it's the assumption that it's for our consumption that's greed it's greed so Timothy says this and I'll end with this and then I'll give you some practical things if you're a part of this church that I would like you to do First Timothy 6 says this, instruct those who are rich. By the way, you're rich. You're an American, you're rich. If you have coins in your ashtray in your car, you're rich. If you have coins in a jar in your home, you're rich. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, which is thinking that this is mine. It's the assumption that it's for my consumption. That's what he meant. Don't be conceited. It's not yours, it's God's. If you're rich, you have it because God gave it to you. Don't be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. I'm, my hope is found in my stuff. My hope is found in my accumulation of stuff. My hope is found in what I can save and what I can store, what I can put away. That's, where my, that's not where your hope is found. Your hope is found in God. He says, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Are we, are we meant to enjoy things in life? Yes, absolutely. But we're first to entrust it and then we're to enjoy it. Entrust it to God. It's been entrusted to us. Now entrust it to God by putting it to, into somebody else's kingdom. Entrust it to God and then enjoy it. And then he says this, instruct them to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. He says, I want you to not only entrust it to me, but I want you to enjoy it, it you know, after you've given, given the first, I want you to enjoy it, and then I want you to employ it. Employ it. Get it out there. Be generous. Ready to share. 
those who are rich. He says, storing up for themselves, here it, is, here it is again, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation, the treasures in heaven for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. It's meant to be employed. And how we employ it, I don't have enough time to share with you all these verses, but we are cheerful givers. The Bible tells us to be cheerful givers. That we're to be liberal givers. We're to be generous in our giving. Why? Because the example is Jesus, and Jesus was lavish in his giving. We're to be generous givers, liberal. And according to 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, we're to be regular givers. We're to be cheerful. I know, it's hard. Be cheerful. Be happy about it. Be liberal, be generous, and be regular. Be a regular giver. That means not just here, here, there, here, there. Listen, here's what this means. Now, let me give you some statistics real quick. Two to three percent of Americans give to something. Two to three percent of Americans give to something. Three to four percent of Christians give to their local church. Three to four percent of Christians give to their local church. When they do give, it's less than five percent. When the three or four percent give to their local church, it's less than five percent. I don't know if you've ever seen this, um, this uh, locomotive in, at uh, Greenfield Village before I have. Uh, there's a, um, I think we have a picture of it. But it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. There it is right there. I don't know if you've been there and seen that before. But there's a sign there that says that um, this is a complicated piece of machinery. And there's a sign showing the boiler pressure and, and size and number of wheels and horsepower and length and weight and more. Well, it says that the bottom line indicates, the bottom line indicates that 95% of the power generated was used to move the locomotive. 95% of the power that's generated is just to get that thing moving, to get that thing operated. And only 5% is left to pull any kind of load if it has. It's all just for the power and to get it moving and to get it operated. And only 5% is left to pull any load. And this is the, the, the story of most local churches. We get enough just to turn the lights on and have the air running and have a sound system and, and I had some coffee for you. And that's about it. And about 5% or 4% left to pull any kind of load that we have, which is, by the way, it's more than a church is meant to be more than just opening its doors on Sunday morning. It's not meant to be just so you can pay the electrical bill and have the air on, it's meant to pull some load of some needs that people have in our community, the people that God has entrusted us to care for, and there's very little left to pull the load. Are you with me? I, this is why I only preach this once a year, because it's awkward. I feel the tension So my advice is to do what I did, 
do, try to do, many of you do. Um, man, I remember the days when, you know, you, you, you joined a church and they gave you like envelopes, like 52 envelopes. Remember this? And you had numbers and you, wrote, and you put the thing called a check. Remember that check? Remember the things called checks? It's like this big, you know, yay big, whatever. And you'd write a check and you put it in an envelope and then they would put in the offering. Like, Listen, I, you know, that was fine. That was good. It was just all, sometimes it's hard to remember to do that. And, and you know, you try to catch up. And then after a while, after a couple of weeks, you're like, oh, I had that unexpected car thing. You know, you, you, you know you've been there before. But what, what I have found to be great, and this is what, what I love about the, today's day and age, there's like the technology and the abilities that we have, you know, technology, technology-wise to be able to do things that are maybe a little bit easier and, and, and maybe not take a whole lot of thought into them. And so I just have it set up for me, and, and I would encourage you to do this, to set it up for you, to do like just an online giving. And, and again, maybe it's not this local church. Maybe it's a local church. If you're not from here, if you go to another church, like th- this is important to do at your local church. This is necessary. And maybe this is not your local church, but don't do this at your local church. And tell your pastor that I said to go do this so he can call me and thank me for it because this is, but I'm telling you, this is like, this is something that I think that God is, teaches us in scripture to say, hey, most churches takes about 95% to, of what comes in just to turn the lights on. But I don't want to be a, just a turn the lights on church. I want us to be a church that can continue to meet the needs and go out in the community and make an impact and do something cool and amazing and powerful and that God can use in a, an incredible way. And I, so I would encourage you to go online, jump online, and then just start figuring out ways. You can do it like weekly. You can do it, I do it every couple, we do it every two weeks. We give every two weeks. And, and what we do, and I, what I would encourage you to do is I would encourage you, and now the Bible says 10%, 10%. I know that sounds like a lot, especially when you think about that and what you bring in, 10%, but that 10% goes on top. Listen, I'm, 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 such, a, I'm such a good pastor, I'm gonna tell you. Like, just don't give less than 5%. That will help. I, whatever you wanna do with that, I'm telling you what the Bible says, the Bible says 10, but I'm telling you, if, you know, no less than five. No less than five. And even some of our leadership are annoyed with me going, why don't tell them that? I mean, come on, tell them 10 and make them feel bad about it and show them a bunch of verses, show Malachi and what Malachi says. It's convicting, it's challenging, I understand. But if you're part of this church, this is your ministry, this is your church that your kids are a part of and grow up in, listen, I'm telling you, first, off the top, first things first, I'm telling you, what God does with that, you can't even, there's not, a, there's not amount, any amount of money that can replace what God wants to do with that. I'm going way over on the worst sermon to preach of the year. But I think it's important. And I think what God wants to do in your life is that God wants to do something for you. You hear me? Where we're starting from the beginning. God wants to do something for you in regards to your finances. God wants to do something for you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all the things that you're worried about, your heavenly father knows, and they'll be added to you. Lord, um, 
thanks for the day. Thanks for the concept of you own everything and you entrust us with these things. Starting with a beautiful little girl named Penelope, who you gave to Nick and Ashley Packwood and entrusted her with them. And they are amazing parents and going to do an amazing job with her and already have. Knowing that she belongs to you. She is yours. And they're going to do the best that they can, led by the power of your Holy Spirit, to enable them to be the kind of parents that you've called them to be. And when it comes to our money, it's yours, not ours. Forgive us when we make the assumption that it's for our consumption. Forget us when we think that we need to pay this or pay that, pay this or that first, and what you get is the scraps. Not that you need our money. It's not what you need. It's just a demonstration of our faith. And you want to see our faith. You want to see how much we trust you. And you kind of sometimes test us with that. I pray, Lord, that each person in here wants to see you, has a desire and a passion to see you do something amazing in their life. Because they decided, to, because they're rich, to be generous. To enjoy it and to employ it. To reallocate it from their kingdom into somebody else's kingdom. And to be a part of a local church that not, isn't just operating on because the lights are on and the air is on. But, but because it's carrying a load and bringing the kingdom of God to a community that needs you. Needs you. I pray, Lord, that you spoke to hearts, challenged hearts and lives here today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry for keeping you so long today. God bless you.